And it reads, By now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who he made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Amen. You may have your seat as Pastor Todd comes. Merry Christmas. That's a little bit better than last week. Maybe about a C, and a, a C minus or so. Now, it's good to be back. Uh, with you, I was away this week in Atlanta, uh, preparing uh, some men to go uh, work with uh, some athletes here in the coming future. So it's good to be back to the home. I'd much rather be in this pulpit than there, and so I- I'm grateful for your allowance of me to go and actually get to to do that. But then to come home and and be with you this morning. And we're in uh, Advent, and Advent is that moment of what is not what is not yet and what we hope to come and so there's this anticipation that we look forward to uh, Christ and his return but the advent of Christmas is looking backwards to see what God has given to us as we look forward and last week we looked at the gift of Jesus and then the next four sermons are going to be about this gift of Jesus and then what he offers us in himself so this morning we're going to look at peace, then we're going to look at adoption, then we're going to look at righteousness. Without Christ, we'll see in this text, there is no peace. And so as I start this morning, I want to ask you this question. I want to take about five seconds or so with silence, not to ask you what you think about the word peace, but what do you feel about the word peace? When I say peace, what do you feel? Is it, is it something that you can't attain or like you grasp for and don't have or is it create some kind of more anxiety and I want to talk about that place so just for a moment what do you feel about the word peace I know for me the word peace oftentimes seems like a mist that I cannot grab you know what I mean? Like when you, you have a mist in the air, you can see it, but you can't grab it. It's not obtainable. And maybe that's what happens in your heart. Maybe there's places in your life that you do not have peace in relationship with your spouse, in relationship with your children, relationship with your neighbor, your co-worker, or even in your relationship with God himself. What would you pay for peace? Like, what is the dollar amount? If someone said, you can have peace, 
what dollar amount would you put to that? I know for me, I'd put all the money in my bank account and your bank account. I would steal to go get peace. I don't know about you, but this is how it works for me. It, oftentimes, the peace is not external that I'm looking for. The peace is internal that I'm looking for. Because I know if I could have internal peace, then I'll have external peace. The way it works for me is my mind seems not to shut off. Am I the only one? Like I, I'm grasping for peace in my mind so I can find external peace. I'd pay anything for that. Oftentimes, even when I sleep, I don't find peace. Anyone else the same way? It's like I long to go to bed so I can find the relief from the anxiety of the day, and yet in my dreams, there is no peace. Anyone ever woke up and you're like, your heart is racing faster than when you went to bed? I'm like, this is not fair. I just want a little moment of relief. And I know for me, in my journey with God, even now in this moment, I long for peace. And so this morning, I, I want to look at three things about peace. Where it comes from, what it's there for, and what we are to do when we get it. I say that when we get it, not if we get it. One amen. Like there is a promise in God's word that we will have peace, not peace in heaven, but what does he say in Luke 2? Peace on what? That's what he came for. Turn with me to Luke chapter 2, just so you don't think I'm making this up. Remember, this is the moment before Christ was born. And the moments after Christ is born, and the angels appear to the shepherds that are keeping watch in the field. And it says this in John, uh, Luke 2, 13. And suddenly there was with the angels a multitude of a heavenly host praising God. And this is what the angels were saying. Glory to God in the highest. And on what? Earth. Peace. So the promise this morning that we hold on to is that we do not wait for peace, but we can have peace. Let me say that again. We are not waiting for peace. Like after the afterlife. But we can have peace this morning. We can have the assurance from God that your minds and hearts can slow down. Amen? That is what I want to talk to us about this morning. If you turn on the radio, you turn on your car, or you turn to the news, or read the newspaper, the world is in constant conflict all the time. I don't know about you, and I thought I'd never get to this place when I was like my parents. And I thought, why do they watch the news? What is the point as, as a 13-year-old? Right, and now I watch it and I'm like, man, this is depressing. 
But there's often those moments on the news when there's those stories about hope and peace. It's like, oh, okay. I'm reminded of a story that happened in the early 1900s on Christmas Day. On Christmas Day in World War I, there was conflict between the Germans and the British in World War I. And they'd been fighting and fighting, and it, it says that they were in the land of, of, of nowhere, the, the, that there was just decimated bodies all over the land. And something happened in the heart of the Germans, and something happened in the heart of the British, that Christmas morning they woke up and put their guns down and met each other in the middle of the field to shake hands and play a game of soccer. And in that moment, there was tranquility. There was peace. And after those days, they went back to fighting. But I want to say to you, we can have those moments just like those men did on that battlefield. But do we believe that this morning? You see, that's what we come here at Christmas to believe. Peace on earth. That is the gift that Christ gives to us. So let's look at first where peace comes from. Then we're going to look at what do we do and where, what is the purpose of that peace. And then lastly, what do we do when we have it back to Ephesians chapter 2. Here is the context of the text. Right, we gotta, you can't just dive into the passage. You've got to know where the passage is coming from to truly understand the passage. And here's what Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, he's reminding them of where they came from. Remember what he says in chapter 2, verse 1. You were dead in your trespasses and your sins, which you once walked, following the courses of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, not the prince of peace, but the prince of darkness, is what he says. You were sons of disobedience. You live from the passions of your heart, he continues on. He says... In your body and in your mind, you were by nature children of wrath. Like what Paul is saying to them, don't forget where you come from. There was a moment where you had no peace. And yet how often do we still live like we have no peace? That is what Paul is pleading with them for. He says, but let me remind you of something he says in verse 4. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love for us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, he made us alive in Christ Jesus. He raised us up with Christ and seated us with Christ in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming age he might show the immeasurable riches of the grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Let me remind you again, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing, but it's a free gift of God. Your salvation is a gift from God, and in your salvation, he's now going to say, in your salvation you will have peace. He says, it's not a result of your own so that no one can boast. Now, because of this free gift of God, he says in verse 10, for you are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus 
for good works which God prepared beforehand that you may walk in them. Walk in what? The good works that he prepared you for. Well, how do we walk in the things that God has prepared us for if we don't have peace? I can't walk in the things of God if my mind is distracted on those things outside of what God has for me. He says, now let me remind you again of something. Therefore, remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh. What that word means is not simply that you were Gentiles by, by your nature, but by, by your flesh, but you were Gentiles by your heart. A Gentile was anyone that wasn't chosen by God. God's holy people were Gentiles. Heathens is another word to say that way. Remember, you were a heathen. You were uncircumcised. He says this, Remember that at one time you were separated from Christ. You were alienated from him is what he says in that verse. Having no hope without God in this world. I want you to remember where you come from this morning. But my plea is that you don't continue to live where you come from with no peace and no hope. And now Paul gets into the crux of our text this morning. He says, remember, that's how you used to be. You used to have no hope. You used to have no peace with God and no peace in this world. And now he says this key word in the text. I love this three-letter word in the text, but. Thank God for the buts of the Bible. Because they're the transition of things used to be this way, but now not because of you, but because of God, things are this way. He says, but now in Christ you once were far off and have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down the flesh and the dividing walls of hostility by abolishing the law and commandments expressed in the audience. So here's where we get our peace. It is only found in Christ Jesus. It's not found in yourself. It's not found in your wife. It's not found in your husbands. It's not found in your children. It's not found in your bank account. Your peace can only come from Christ. But how often do we look for those other things to bring us peace? I mean, am I the only one that looks at my bank account and then there's that moment of relief that there's more money in there than I thought? Am I the only one? Like, oh man, I thought I had spent more money there. Or I go home and I, I can walk into the door and I know immediately the temperature of my house by Jenny's response. Am I the only one? Like, uh, uh like she ain't had a good day. I better just back on up. Am I the only one? Like you sniff it out, walk in the house, you're like, oh man, the kids are chaotic. Anyone else? But I look for those places in my life to bring me peace. And what Paul is saying to us, no, you cannot get peace from those things. Your peace is from Christ. Not only that, it's not just from Christ, but it is Christ, he says. So is that true for us this morning? Here's what Paul 
says in the text. He says this is what the person of Christ does. He breaks down the wall of hostility. That means the wall of hate. Now you have to know the context of what Paul is talking about. Because that's going to be the purpose of the text. But in those few verses, in verses 13 through 15, he uses that wall, the word, the wall of hostility. That is in reference to the temple. This is post-resurrection, not pre-resurrection. Post-resurrection, this is what happened in the, the temple. They believed that Jews and Gentiles could come wor worship God. They just simply didn't believe they could worship together still. And, and so what Paul is saying is, when you go to the temple, there's still the, 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 there's still the courtyard for the Jews and courtyard for the Gentiles because you hate each other. And so what Paul is saying to us, you cannot have peace with God if you do not have peace with one another. Which leads us to now the purpose of peace. And now he goes on to say, this is the purpose for peace. And where does he start with? He starts in verses 15, verse B. He says to us that through these ordinances, he's created for himself one man in the place of two, so making peace. He doesn't start with our peace with God. He's going to get to that in a moment. I wonder how often we want peace with God, but we don't have peace with others. And so Paul comes out, the purpose for peace is that you would all get along. And yet, we don't. Like if you want peace with God, you better look at your relationships with other people to see if you have peace there. Because if you don't have peace there, I promise you don't, do not and will not have peace with God. It doesn't start with God, which is amazing in the text. You would think Paul would say, hey, get it right with God so you can go get it right with other people. No, he says, get it right with other people so you can go get it right with God. And I could preach on and on about this passage, but I would first say this, do we believe and do we trust that God has brought us together to have peace with one another? Because this is how God sees the world. We see this in two texts. Galatians chapter 3, 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female. For we are all one in Christ. Colossians 3, Paul goes on to say this in verse 11. Here, the church is what he's saying. The body of believers, there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but is all in all in Christ. You see, do we have peace with one another? Remember the old nursery Sunday school song, red, yellow, black, and white, they're all but are they all precious in your sight? I think one of the greatest things that's ever happened in the life of this church is Ebony and Brother Joshua being here. 
we now get a glimpse of what heaven's going to look like. So often we think heaven's going to be full of white people. I promise, I've said this and I'll say it a thousand times. Whiteies, we're going to be the minority. You might not like to hear that, but we will be. The white people in heaven will be the minority. You can just see that throughout the world. You can see that throughout where believers are coming to know Christ in exponential forms. We will be the minority, but it's got to start here. Remember what Christ prayed for in his prayer. May it be on earth as it is in heaven. Well, how is it in heaven? It is a multitude of colors praising the throne room of God. And why is it Sunday morning is not a multitude of colors in God's house? Not too many amens for that one. Why is Sunday morning the most segregated hour in America? You see, because in heaven, there are no preferences. There are no agendas. There is one call to God's people to worship God. So how come it's not happening here? We can't just simply sit back and say, well, that's not my style of worship. That's not the way I want to be taught. It's not how we're taught. We must come, as Paul says, and we must have peace with one another. And it has to start here. What if the church of America and the church of the world had peace with one another? What that would do for mankind? You see, so often we read throughout sociology and, and psychology and the study of man and many people would say this that there will be peace when there is no more religion i would say that might be true if in replace of that there's relationship with god so do we have peace with one another and now he says this not only do we get peace with one another because of Christ Jesus, but he says we get peace with who? In verse 16, that we might be reconciled us, all of us, to God through the cross, thereby killing hostility. And so now he moves on to having a peace with God. Receive, that's what Paul was saying to us in the previous passages. You were once dead, you were once alienated from God, you were once children of wrath of God. If you have wrath with God and God has wrath with you, there is no peace, right? And that's what Paul is saying. Because of our sinful behavior, we deserve to fall under the wrath of God. And yet, it says... Later on in the text, not because of anything that you did, but because of all that God through Christ did for you and loved you, now you have peace with God. And God is now at peace with you. Do, do, you, do we realize our sin separates us from God? God hates sin. That's what he says here in the text. It abolishes and kills 
hostility. Christ became our propitiation, meaning he absorbed the wrath of God on the cross. Like that's the whole reason he came as a baby, to absorb the wrath of God. Now, I don't know if you've ever held a baby. It's not like, oh, man, I cannot wait for this baby to absorb full wrath. But even Mary, when she held Jesus, knew that was going to be his final destiny. To absorb the full wrath of God. So that you and I would not have to. You see, because of Christ coming as a baby and absorbing the full wrath of God, we now have peace with God. Like, there's no greater gift. Do we have peace with God because God through Jesus offers that peace. You see, Christmas time ought to allow us to reflect on one thing, our sin and God's love. Like I know this room is beautiful, it's got wreaths, it's got a tree, it has the word peace, but the reason Christ came was to give us peace with God. Not toys under a tree. He goes on to say after it comes to the person of Christ, it's to have peace with others, to have peace with God. He says, now this is the purpose of the peace. Verses 17 and 18. He says, and he, Jesus, came and preached peace to you who were once far off and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Paul is borrowing the verse from Isaiah chapter 56, 57, excuse me, verse 19. This is what Isaiah wrote well before Paul was ever thought of. But the gospel of Christmas was known. Creating the fruit of the lips. Peace, peace to the far and to the near, the Lord says. This is how the verse in Isaiah ends. So that I may bring them healing. So the, there's this proclamation. That's the purpose of peace. Is that now Christ has come to proclaim his peace. To heal those who are far off. And now there's this call onto us. If you've received that peace. You ought to have that same proclamation. Do we proclaim Christ's peace to those who are under the wrath of God? Like when you look at your neighbors who are lost, you look at your family members who are lost, you look at your co-workers who are lost, does it break your heart that they don't have peace with God and therefore you plead with God to give you an opportunity to proclaim that peace to them? That is the reason I left Secular counseling. Because I was sitting with men and women who did not have peace with God, but because of the laws of this state, I could not offer them that peace. I could offer them sobriety, but sobriety and peace are way different. And so I left secular counseling so that I could, with great boldness, proclaim the peace of God to their hearts. Like for me, sitting with marriages and there's no peace in the marriage, I can give you communication skills. 
That's as easy as the day is long. You don't need communication skills in your marriage if you don't have peace in your marriage. You need Christ in the middle to offer you both peace. You don't need to learn how to talk to each other. That's how you got engaged, because you knew how to talk to each other. What you need is peace with God so you can have peace in your marriage. And that's what we must proclaim to people. That's the proclamation. Remember what Jesus said in John 14, 27. This is Jesus preparing his disciples as he goes to the cross to go to the tomb to return to his father. He says, peace, I leave with you. Peace, I leave with you. My peace, I give to you. Not as the world gives to you, do I give it to you. Meaning there's not, there has to be this transaction is what he's saying. I give it to you freely. I want you to have it. And you don't have to buy it from me. I give it to you freely. I want to put that on to you is what Jesus is saying. And then he says this, let not your hearts be troubled. I wonder if we have troubled hearts because we think peace with God is transactional. God does this, therefore I have to do this. I do this, therefore God does this. And so there's this constant transaction with God in order to get peace. And we're like, I still don't have it. Because there's nothing you have to do to earn it, to deserve it. He freely gives it to you. Just open your arms, hearts, and minds and receive it. That's the promise that God gives to us. He says, and this is what happens when you have that peace. This is what will happen for others when they have that peace. It's in the very last part of 18. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Our peace gives us the Holy Spirit. Our peace comes from Christ. Our peace, therefore, in Christ gives us access in the Holy Spirit to the Father. The only reason you now have access to God is because of the peace of God through, through Christ, through the Holy Spirit. Is that true for you this morning? I want to ask two questions in closing. And you can put these in any order. Do you have peace with others? In your heart this morning, do you have peace with other people? Because God's call through the birth and life of Christ is that we would have peace. Do you have peace with even people in this room? Is there anyone in this room you need to go get peace with? Because if you don't have that, that will be a hindrance to that what I would ask next. Do you have peace with God? That's twofold. The first is if you're a believer and you do not have peace with others, you will not have peace with God. But here's the second part of that question. 
If you are an unbeliever, you do not know who Jesus is. You do not know that he came as a baby, lived a sinless life to to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. If you do not know that, Jesus, you will not have peace with God. Do you know Christ? That's what he says in Isaiah. He is the Prince of Peace. Do you have peace this morning with God? And do you have peace with others? That is the gift that Christ himself offers to give us peace with God and peace with others. Do we have that? Let me pray for us this morning.